and welcome back to Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Ryan, and that's not Matt, it's Jordan. Hey, Jordan, my vomit fluctuates, cover your skull like pl- protoplasm. Lightning bugs turn pink on my tongue, catches spasms. Green elephants, I battle streets with a zebra. My mechanism is more than Dion's psychic voodoo. Oh, shit, there's a horse in the hospital. And we are not alone. We are joined by TFT punk correspondent Rachel D. Uh, Rachel, you may not believe living on the Earth planet. My skin is green and silver, forehead-looking mean. Astronauts get played, tough like the ukulele. As I move in rockets, overriding levels, nothing's aware. Same data, same system. Would you care to listen to any more? Think about it. <laughs> I would. I, you know, and this is a question that you should ask yourself, um, uh, TFT listener. Based on what you've heard right now, would you indeed care to listen to any more? Uh, because, and you may have discerned this already, or you may have not, that we are discussing um, Dr. On- Octagonicologist, uh, the studio album by Dr. Octagon, who, if you believe uh, Wikipedia, is just a person who deserves a biography on <laughs> On Wikipedia, um, uh, and if you, uh, uh, which, which starts um, in the biography, Doctor Octagon is an extraterrestrial surgeon from Jupiter who uses space technology and primitive tools to perform medical procedures on his patients, um, some of whom die as he conducts his round, while others are mo- uh, murdered by his careless barbaric acts. That is one sentence. Um, <laughs> that is the first sentence in the biography of Doctor Octagon on Wikipedia. Um, but Doctor Octagon is also the persona, the recording persona of Cool Keith, um, who, uh, and this is his uh, kind of solo debut. Um, and he had previously worked with the um, kind of uh, classic, kind of golden age of hip hop um, act, the Ultramatic MCs. Um, but this was. Uh, I think one could say quite a departure from the Ultramatic MCs and from really everything that was happening in hip-hop and really kind of the world of music uh, in 1996 when this uh, album was released. Um, I, so, Jordan, and I, I invited you on in part because I, I know I have a pretty clear memory of you introducing me to this album. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, some, All right. <laughs> yeah. Sometime after it was released, I believe, uh, it was it was probably around uh, the summer of 2002 uh, for the summer that we were roommates, and you introduced me to many records, um, but this was definitely one of those. Um, and I don't know, I, had you known about this album since it came out, or, or did you come later to Dr. Octagon? You know, I came pretty late. Uh, like... <sighs> I don't know how this got on my radar. I think that there was a time when I was like just clicking around a lot of lists on Amazon and somehow I got put wise to like to this and uh and Deltron 3030. I'm not sure which one of those came first, but definitely like the number one link if you buy either one of those is the other one. Um and I got both of them together, I think. And uh, really liked it a lot. I was a, I was a huge Dan the Automator fan for a while, but th- this was definitely my entree to that. So I have no idea. I have no idea how I got got uh, put wise to it. It is it is interesting to think that we um, at the time that we were. That I was introduced to this, so kind of 2002 was kind of right in kind of peak automator, right? Uh, because the that would have been about a year after the first Gorillas album uh, was out, which he which Dan the Automator produced, and that was kind of his. I mean, I think arguably his kind of. 
popular Zenith. I mean, he's produced a bunch since then, but I think that was, you know, the kind of run... from Dr. Octagon up through Gorillas was this really, I think, him kind of being in the forefront of a certain kind of corner of alternative uh, uh, hip-hop. And so I feel like we were kind of living in that Dan the Automator um, moment. Um, Rachel, uh, you actually, I, I had not even known this until we were talking just before this show, you owned this album in 1996. Well, I don't know if it was 96, but, like, I guess whenever it would have been. In the 90s. In the 90s, yeah, I did. Well, I think I used to stay up late to watch MTV, like, late-night MTV, when it still played kind of more obscure things. When when they still played music videos. Yeah, when they still played music videos, (laughs) right. And so I think I had, I think I had seen the video for this on MTV late at night and I uh, for um Blue Flowers late at night and I was very struck by the song it was like in my head and I just thought it was like very interesting and and cool and I think I like Tricky kind of around a similar time period and I guess I don't know it just it was very appealing to me so I I did get the album I don't think the album really totally stuck for me but um, but you know, Blue Flowers was like compelling enough to make me go and like take a chance on this album, and I bought it. I I, I, I think I can only assume based on the fact that you were allowed to buy this album that um, you know it's interesting. This album, I mean, I see no parental advisory sticker. Yeah, no, <laughs> no parental advisory sticker, and I mean, it's just like a creepy doctor. I don't know. It could be right. There's nothing. There's nothing. It doesn't look like any more like uh, inappropriate than anything else. You know, in some ways, I always associate holding a skull in that manner with with Hamlet. So you could, you know, a parent could look at this and like, oh, maybe it's Shakespearean, right? (laughs) Um, But as as Cool Keith says on uh, on on Blue Flowers, um, what does he say? He he, there's there's a Shakespeare line. Is it Shakespeare's gone? Don't even think about it. Yes, Shakespeare's gone. Don't even think about it. Um, And uh, but I. I do think that, um, you know, it, I guess you should be lucky that your parents did not just give this album a casual spin. Because even... Oh, no, to- I was, like, very... I mean, the definitely it was not an album I could play super loud in my room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I guess that that is as we kind of um, you know if you have um, if you're going to listen to this album and and we recommend you listen to it uh, for uh, join us for the conversation. Um, a few notes, a few pieces of advisory. Uh, you know, if you happen to listen to music, I mean, this album I would say is not safe for most work environments um, unless you happen to work. Work in a un, in a primitive space hospital, um, <laughs> a primitive space hospital, or like uh, a company that uh, that actively uh, likes like likes and encourages porn or something. Yeah, right? yeah. like a porn with, company. A porn like a porn company. Or just like a tech startup, right? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> or just a tech startup, right? This is actually so. Here's the first entree I wanted to to make into it, actually. Which uh, should we do the ad first? We should probably do the ad first. Uh, well, uh, you know, listen. This is an album that dispenses with a lot of conventions, and so so can we. Uh, so. <laughs> so 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 hit hit us. Take us yeah, to the bridge. <laughs> um, my question for you is. 
Which is dirtier, this album or Two Life Crew? Hmm. Ooh. Hmm. Because, like, huh. there's no, you see, there's no parental advisory uh, sticker. I'm not sure that, like, that any f bombs get dropped on this. Huh. Uh, he does say, "Oh shit, there's a horse in the hospital." So, like, occasionally he does, but he's much more likely to say "doo doo," which you're allowed to say on TV, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Two Life Crew still wins, like the dirtiness contest. Like, well, I guess it's like, so I guess the question is to take a step back, like. Because, like, dirty is an interesting way to frame not appropriate for children, right? Because I would say that Two Live Crew is dirtier and Dr. Octagon is still more inappropriate for children. (laughs) Um, Because I think, like, Two Live Crew, while... I think the two live crew will 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 force like a lot. You know, I, I, the the worst case scenario with two live crew is that it forces a a earlier and kind of more uncomfortable sex talk. But like the like Doctor Octagon like will give nightmares, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and 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 it's it's a lot of it's so much more. It is it is actively disturbing, um, and it's you know I think it's funny that we were listening to this and um, as uh, the same week that uh, Darren Aronofsky's most recent film Mother exclamation point was released, and I was kind of like thinking, and I, I you know being me read all all the spoilers for Mother to understand because uh, I, I was given to understand that there is it, it, that the the film escalates to a a point. Um, um, that is upsetting to people, so I, I decided to read exactly what that was, um, and uh, and and it it kind of is like a little bit that like there's there are ways in which Cool Keith kind of is rap game Darren Aronofsky, right? <laughs> um, but, all right, all right, right. I mean, because it's like you know, I, like you know, you you like I would not like you know if if you didn't know like the works, uh, it, like I could see the phrase ass to ass being uttered on this album right um some way or another right Uh, and and because like i think that there's a certain amount of extremity um that is that is here and so in this in the 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 kind of sexual situations and the kind of the action the pornographic uh, skits in the violence in the and then in in the overlaying of those with kind of surrealism right it's with the kind of Unshane Andalou kind of um, vibe is what makes this more inappropriate for children, right? Like, because like I wouldn't want to show a child Unshane Andalou either. (laughs) Um, So that that surrealism is kind of part of what I'm getting at because there are a few actually dirty lines in it. Like, I mean, um, on Real Raw, he says, uh, "You beat it like Michael Jackson in my atmosphere, gerbils for rectums. I break you off like Richard Gere, right?" (laughs) Which is, I mean, if you know what's going on, that is very filthy. But if you played that for a child, they would simply not know what was going on. Hmm. And probably actually, like, I remember listening to this back when I was first listening to it, which was in, like, early college or something like that, right? I was 
you know, legally an adult. I mostly just didn't understand the lyrics. And this is at a time. <laughs> this is at a time before you could get absolutely every lyric online, or at least before I knew to look for that there. So often I was just kind of like catching words here and there, and sentences here and there, and stuff like that. And it was just like it was so free association e that I would not be able to follow for more than a few lines at a time. Yeah. And I was just like listening to the rhythms, listening to the beats, listening to uh, to DJ Qbert about who we need to definitely talk. Yes. Um, but I feel like if you played this for a child, like barring a few particular tracks, um, they would not really experience mm. anything too untoward just because like they would not be able to follow enough to experience anything untoward. Whereas Two Life Crew is like aggressively dumb with its sexuality. Right. So that even if you don't know what sex is, you get like one plus one, we were having some fun and it sounds dirty, right? Because yeah. I definitely, not through crew, Two Life Crew, but I definitely knew that line before I knew what sex was. You know? Well, and, and I think also with Two Life Crew, you like run a greater chance of your child just chanting a like very simple and very vulgar catchphrase. Like, you know, face. Yeah. I mean, I've actually heard like, um, like uh, a friend was saying that she was at a, um, a Boston area, uh, like a New Hampshire theme park, uh, and there were relatively young children on one of those pirate sh- ship things. And as the pirate ship swung back to swung back and forth, the children were chanting face down. Down, ass up that's the way we like to fuck <laughs> yeah. um and, and yet you know i still think i would prefer that to being in a public place with children um and them and them chanting um you know half shark uh, alligator half man because <laughs> that, yeah, that, yeah. that would be a lot more disturbing to me because I, I would think that i was going to die on that pirate ship um for sure for sure the kid or, was- and then the other thing Go on. No, yeah, the kids were disturbed, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then the other thing, of course, that they might end up chanting is like the the couple of tracks that that seem. I'm not. I haven't tracked it down, but they seem to be sampling hardcore porn films, yeah. right? Where like you don't want the kids to be chanting like "Okay, like a cock," right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, but, and I guess this is the warning I was getting around to is that um, you know, if, if depending on where you listen, right, whether you kind of listen on speakers in a semi-public like office e space or even mm-hmm. headphones with a fair amount of noise bleed, um, you you may want to like. Uh, take off of your playlist or skip past the intro and a visit to the gynecologist, um, which I guess is not that surprising. It's kind of like it says on the tin. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, these, I, we can talk about like the skits because this is an album, um, you know, like many um, rap albums of the mid 90s, has a lot of skits. Um, but like, unlike them, they are um, kind of like you were saying, sampling porn films and kind of these somewhat nonsensical medical narratives um and uh and so the the other ones the the medical kind of skits are shorter and feed into the songs more and the porn ones are like they're they're both uh, genuinely disturbing to listen to and also break up the flow of the album a lot more though but the porn ones are more like sound collage like yeah right because they often have like a beat underneath them whereas Mm -hmm. i agree the medical skits are are, are really kind of like lead-ins into songs, which I think is also kind of like a break from skits of the time, which are usually like talky, long, and not uh, undergirded by like a beat. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so it is this kind of departure where the, the it's like the skits are, are more a part of the kind of sonic collage than not. But I do agree that they break up the flow of the album because the porn sample is a porn sample. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of back it's, and forth. Yeah. So, sort of unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon the cut of your jib, uh, a visit to the gynecologist has one of the most astonishing pieces of scratching right at the yeah. end of it that yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. But like, it's identifiably a like sex grunt that is being scratched. <laughs> so <laughs> if your workplace will not let you do that, then you're just going to have to pass that one up. <laughs> yeah. And so I think this is, so you know, one of two things has happened or one of maybe three things has happened either you're already off listening to, to dr octagon because you're a fan of dr octagon um you have uh, you you have decided that doc Oct- octagon is not and will never be your cup of tea and you have already pressed stop uh or you're right on the fence uh and you are waiting for me to just um give you that bit of encouragement to press pause on this podcast and go ahead and listen to dr octagon and if you listen on the streaming services um you want to listen um i'd say you know, make a sub playlist uh, that starts at three thousand, so you can, I think, leave off the intro or at least live off the intro after the first time. Um, leave off uh, the visit to the gynecologist, um, and and then it ends at um, at half shark, alligator, half man. I believe is where the um, uh, is is where the album proper ends. Um, the Spotify version I was listening to had a few extra bonus tracks, so give it a spin. Um, then kind of take a deep breath, uh, <laughs> shake it off, uh, listen yeah. to something really, really listen to some, I don't know, some Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, let, me, uh, let me, let me, well, actually, you actually want to go through to 1977. Do you? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. oh, that's really yeah, interesting. I, yeah, I, I had I got the CD when I got this, and you do Blue Flowers Revisited and Waiting List and 1997 okay. are, are actually real tracks. And 1990, 19, sorry, 1997, 1977 is actually a real interesting outro to the thing. Okay, that's good to know. I like I, I had seen somewhere else that it ended at Half Shark, Alligator, Half Man. I think the geniuses at Genius indicated that. Um, oh. Well, I wonder maybe what if I didn't? What if I had a reissue or something like well, that? Well, no, maybe it's because the '97 version on DreamWorks was longer than the '96 version. So I wonder oh. the '97. Like it's quite. Po- I mean, certainly by the time I bought the album, it probably would have been the '97 version because I saw it on MTV. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so how about this? Start listening to Doctor Octagon yeah, and, st- and stop whenever Doctor Octagon defeats you, because he will. <laughs> <laughs> he he certainly like like you there. You will not when in a battle of you versus Doctor Octagon, you will not and cannot win because you uh you are an Earth people and he is from Jupiter. <laughs> um, and so uh, give give this album a spin and meet us back uh, to discuss it after this word from our commercial sponsors. Do you like cursing? Fuck yeah. Do you find that due to the ceaseless slide of the signifier beneath the signified that curse words lose their power as you reuse them? Totally, totally, totally true. Cunt, cunt, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> do you find that people just get inured to this shit is what i'm saying fuck i'm like i am totally ass fuck con- uh, 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 desensitized yeah. oh it sounds like you need to try bringing some doo-doo into your life <laughs> oh. Whoa, what is because that what all, is that word you just smeared <laughs> that word all over my face <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> because after all, what's more disturbing than cursing is a child cursing. And what's more disturbing than a child cursing is a grown-ass man cursing like a child. Doo-doo. <laughs> for when oh. your curse words need a touch of Freudian horror to them. Doo-doo. For ah. every occasion. Ah! <laughs> ah! Ah! And we're back. Hey, Jordan, I have a question for you. <laughs> oh, good. So, one? <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a good one. It, 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 either you or Rachel can can jump on this one. Uh, but so this cool Keith with his horse in the hospitals and his moose bumps and his relocated salivary glands, I believe. Um, has he ever been to the doctors? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I think yes, right? <laughs> so, like, the, the first thing, probably those of you who know anything about the album will have heard the lore that uh, sometime around the debut of, uh, like, the recording debut of Ultramagnetic MCs, Cool Keith was briefly institutionalized at Bellevue for some kind of mental illness. Yeah. This may or may not be true. Like later on ah. in life, he said that this was like a throwaway joke in an interview that people just ran with. Um, and of course, like on the one hand, like cool Keith says a lot of stuff. And on the other hand, sort of taking somebody like him and saying, oh, well, of course, he's he's just a crazy person is something that the music press would totally do. And for for good and sensible reasons involving uh, medical reporting and privacy, we will never know. Right. Uh, never know for sure whether it's true or not. But that is the legend. Mm. And if so, then, yes, mm. he's been to a doctor mm. of a certain kind. <laughs> But based on the lyrics themselves, like, I guess, what understanding, like, what do you make of of Cool Keith's understanding of doctors and the medical profession? And it could be actually informed by, you know, this, this either experience or even the myth of the experience. <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting. I didn't know about that, um, I guess, like that legend or rumor. But it, to me, I think it ties to the, the album the album concept of a doctor. Um, it's interesting that he makes it a gynecologist. Well, I'm sorry, an orthopedic mm. gynecologist. <laughs> 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 well, actually, it's an orthopedic yeah. gynecologist. No, but um, I do think, you know, being, you know, the, the experience, like institutional, like being institutionalized or like an experience like that, um, really kind of ties like the like the medical care with like the authority and power of the state, and I do think here like the gy- orthopedic gynecologist figure, I mean, he is kind of a rogue figure, but also I don't know, kind of one who has like a kind of a scary amount of like power and like could and kind of like can abuse that power in the intimate position of orthopedic gynecologist yeah i mean yeah if i went into the doctor and the doctor looked at me like with sort of his uh his stethoscope and white coat on and said you have cirrhosis of the eye we have to operate immediately <laughs> like i would know that that's not where you get cirrhosis but i don't know that i would be able to stop him yeah. from operating on me if i would have like the confidence to say like no doctor that's not a real thing you're talking crazy <laughs> well right it's the it's the milgram experience run amok right that it's there's a a deference to authority right the fact that one defers to authority means that it can be abused right and uh, except here rather than the authority telling you hey torture this guy the authority is like i'm gonna torture you (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, which is yeah. like, honestly, I mean, on the one hand, you might say, well, I wouldn't let them do that. And then I say, have you been to the dentist? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like, well, you know, I'm out of my depth here. So I'm just going to I'm going to go with this. This guy's an expert. Right. And he he even talks about having the white. Like, I, I think what is interesting is that the the most of the things and what I was getting at with the question is so many of the behaviors and and attitudes are so alien to what one associates with the medical profession <laughs> uh, and right uh i mean right because like like he has like the 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 doctor octagon hippocratic oath is like first do harm right <laughs> right um i mean he's a he's a one-man death panel right <laughs> and like and and the, there is this and yet you know so his understanding of like a doctor is like he's like well i have the white coat and a stethoscope and i i do uh, i get to do a lot of gross shit right um and and then that's what's really kind of interesting because like it like it's like he starts like there again there are these like starting descriptions that are like yes those are doctor things like there's like two beats of doctor things and then it just starts to veer way way off right (laughs) yeah it's interesting because it's like dr agadon really has like more in common with like the kind of mad scientist doctors like a dr moreau or like uh even dr jekyll right? dr jekyll but it's like as if you took those characters <laughs> and then made them have like like office hours and like patient visiting times and a waiting room like right. as yeah, if yeah. dr moreau saw patients and then like turned them into monsters you know it just it's very it's kind of it's this it's this weird like it's this it's two ideas of doctor like conflated into yes, one yes that's exactly it yeah <laughs> Um, you, go ahead. I was just going to ask if you have seen uh, Dead Ringers. No, what no. Is that? It's a uh, Cronenberg. Like I'm pretty sure it's Cronenberg movie about uh, identical twin gynecologists, one of whom goes colorfully insane. Oh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I mean, don't watch it, but do. <laughs> um, but that's that's just a that's just a digression. I kind of want to get back to like what is the what is the pornography doing there um and what is the violence doing there and do they have the same function on the album mm. you know um so when he says that uh that he's hiding the bodies in Beverly Hills how is that a different thing from like having having DJ Cubert scratch a a sex moan hmm I I don't know it's interesting cuz I think the, the the two porn sketches are very different too, because I think the the first one, the first one is a little less creepy, because it's it's kind of more consensual. Yeah, like that's yeah, the word. yeah, that's the word. Uh, it's right. She it's like the the doctor has like whatever. The doctor has like some emotional. I don't know. There's something up with the doctor that requires relief. And the relief is like offered by the the woman, like the nurse character. Uh, whereas the other sketch, you know, there's Julia Child trickery, like, and it's it's definitely more. I think to yeah. to me that has more like the edge of violence, right? Because of the Julia Child trickery and like the fraud. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and, like the, and woman, he, the woman doesn't know what's going on. And he's sort of sexually, you know, assaulting her slash molesting her under guise of medical advice. Right? Exa- exactly. And I think that's disturbing. But then I think what's also sort of annoying and or slash disturbing is I think we're also supposed to feel like the woman obviously knows that it's trickery and is just being like obstinate, which to me also undergirds this idea of like. No doesn't mean no or something, you know. I or, I don't know. I think there's there's a lot going on in that second sketch that makes it. I think definitely the, the really good scratching aside, like pretty hard to listen to and really annoying. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think so. I think that like the only way that I've ever found to be okay with that one is to think like, well, this is clearly like a scenario. You know, no no one could actually be this naive to think that this is really. I mean, really a female doctor that he's pretending to be, right? right. Uh, saying these things, right? And and because her dialogue has this sort of like, I'm acting for the first time quality to it, you feel like, oh, well, this is just like, this is just... This is just the thing that they frame around sex in in, in a porn, right? But it, it, it's definitely much harder to listen to than the first one. Um, I think it is also interesting, though, because it's like... I think that the, the 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 sex and the violence together is also what recontextualize it in a more horrifying light, right? So that if you were watching this porn, and it's weird because this is not a particularly sexy scenario, at least, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the thing. Uh, at least, and, and, but and I say that though only ever having heard this in the context of this album, right? Where there are all of these kinds of much more kind of horrifying, grotesque abominations abound on every on every side of this, and so with that, if this kind of is is part of a piece of a kind of of a, a, a nightmarish. Um, kind of uh, montage of kind of horrifying kind of violations and incursions, right? And uh, and and so it, I think that that casts it in this more sinister light. Um, even if it is, you're you're absolutely right that if it's sampled from um, porn, that when you're watching as a porn, you you know where, right? Like you say, it's a scenario, and and it is it is kind of going towards it is going towards sex, but in the I mean that's it's one of these interesting things of the magic of sampling of, mm-hmm. of how it is, um, how it recontextualizes it. Right. We've kind of talked a lot about, um, actually in a number of the, um, episodes that you've been on Jordan, I know that you were on when we talked, um, you know, I think about a year ago, um, about Paul's boutique and kind of sampling at that point. And I think what's interesting about these, and I feel like maybe the bridge between those two is the, um, you know, are the Kung Fu samples on the Wu Tang songs and solo albums. Um, and this is the, I mean, this is, this is, this is porno Wu Tang, right? <laughs> like, kind of, yeah, yeah. And also horror Wu Tang, right? There's that, yeah. uh, like, this yeah. is cannibalism bit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly, right. They're like, they're the like, uh, this- troll. Troll fishing through the grotty back room of the comic shop, right? They sort of like yeah. threw their net back there, and all the nasty stuff that was like that had fallen down the back of the fridge or whatever yeah. is what they they drag out. Um, well, and, then and, and then yeah, oh, go ahead, sorry. And it's like what matters is less that it is violence or sex or science fiction or horror, but more that it is sort of forbidden. Yes, right. It, yeah, it gets yeah. back to sort of the the doo doo quality of it. 
Yeah, well, and I think that this there's a line, um, and they're they're actually for an album that has all these qualities that we were saying. This is an album that actually has buried within it quite a few mission statements. He states the mission statement a few times, but you miss it because you're so distracted or horrified or enthralled by the beats. Um, but on um, the title track on Doctor Octagon, um, he says um, um, it's co- it's costing androids leaving humans with hemorrhoids thinking more of what they can't explore. Like the cartoon of Donald Duck is given fellatio on the floor, with Reed Richards looking at the thing's naked pictures. Um, taking X-lax to relax with the needle and thread, sewing up all the other butt cracks in the industry there's no one else uh, who can mess with. Dr. Octagon, now serving coleslaw and pink pickles. Um, <laughs> and, and, and leaving the coleslaw and pink pickles aside um the 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 part that that i wanted to kind of talk about is that that middle lines about thinking more of what they can't explore um like the pornographic donald duck or the um pornographic fantastic four right the uh the fantastic four fantasies um and and that that these are exactly this kind of you 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 i found it interesting you were kind of talking about kind of trawling through the back of the um of the comic book shop and i i see those lines bring all of that together, right? And it's these these kinds of secret worlds of these kinds of it's these kind of seedier or repressed. And again, it's this again. I, I just this idea of of bringing to mind or to light what others will not explore seems to be at least a big part of the mission statement of um, of Doctor Octagon of this kind of like by being willing to entertain these things, it's accessing a a level of kind of creative or kind of like experience or awareness that is otherwise repressed. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think I buy that 100%. The other thing that I guess I would say about it is that like this isn't um, like exploring that which others will not explore in the kind of Indiana Jones, HP Lovecraft sense where it's like, we're going out to the forbidden zone and seeing something that, that nobody else was brave enough to go see. It's stuff that is like shameful, right? Yeah. This this came out at a time when comic books and science fiction are definitely like kid stuff. We think today maybe of the the target audience for that being like the comic book guy, right? Like a very serious, um, dour kind of uh, socially maladapted man. Whereas at this time, and I think this is of a piece with like again like the the pee pee doo doo stuff. Um, th- this is stuff that is adolescent at best, pre adolescent maybe, um, and then kind of ramping off into on the one hand, sex, and on the other hand, violence, and then, like, fiendish technical complexity, which is the other piece of yeah. it, of course, you can't get away from, um, is, like, taking that sort of child in all sorts of directions that, like, one, it shouldn't go, and two, you'd be scared to go, and three, you would be embarrassed to go. But but Cool Keith and the rest of them are not, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I think it's, like... And and this is all in the spirit of kind of I don't know trolling and antagonizing rap music, right? 
<laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> um, and I see that there, right? Um, and, and and I think the other mission statement for the album comes on the on the first proper song on three thousand, right? Where he says, you know, rap moves on to the year three thousand, right? This is a nineteen ninety six album, and he is fast forwarding past two thousand, past Y two K, onto the year three thousand, right? Um, and and so that it is this kind of and there there is that and and it's a, it's an interesting move for someone who is at this point a you know nearly 10 year veteran in, in the rap game and kind of you know was it was part of a you know it was kind of widely regarded as a golden era and kind of was very associated with this kind of a a mode that by 1996 had been kind of eclipsed by several other kind of micro cycles um and 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 i think that rather right and this is like the peace peak of east coast and west coast and he had moved from one to the other right i think he was living in california around the time um, um, this album came out, um, and the collaborators, I think Kubert and um, Dan the Automator, were both West Coast guys. Um, uh, but so he had this kind of, uh, you know, a root and, uh, and and origins in the East Coast, was living in the West Coast, and is kind of transcending what is happening at the time, right? <laughs> that you know, it's like when when the feud is between the East Coast and the West Coast, you kind of just rocket into space. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that again is very explicitly stated: Earth people, New. York and California, Earth people. I was born on Jupiter. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's like it's like fuck your coasts, right? Like uh, I'm from space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So, like, we probably should talk a little bit about uh, Afrofuturism yeah. with regard to this. Um, and I, don't, I mean, is that something that either of you guys know a lot about? I know a fairly fairly small amount about it. I would yield to superior expertise if anyone else wants to opine. I, I, I would say that you are probably the superior expertise in the context of this podcast. So go 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 ahead. <laughs> All right. So like Afrofuturism is a literary, cultural, often musical movement um, that involves. Let me see. Oh, gosh, I read a thing on it and and heard a podcast recently. Let me see if I can remember what it was. On the one hand, the most obvious is that there's sort of this science fictional version of um, of a kind of a black is beautiful ideology. And very often it involves sort of recontextualizing the symbols of the past as science fiction relics from the future. So mm-hmm. the idea is that like the pyramids in Egypt um, were built by black people and also their spaceships or something like right. that. Um, right. And musicians that have done stuff with this that are really interesting are like Sun Ra and uh, like P-Funk in a big way and more recently Janelle Monet. Um, and what's really interesting about it is that uh, often there's this overall sense of hope and possibility huh. that goes on with it. Yeah. Like, uh, like when Sun Ra comes in and he's singing about how space is the place, he's like, we're just going to take all of the black people and sort of ascend into outer space and leave leave everybody else to sort of deal with Earth's problems, right? Um, and it's going to be essentially the rapture, which is the same kind of right. thing you get in P-Funk with Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Let Me Ride on their big UFO visitation song, right? I don't think that Cool Keith got the message that it was supposed to be hopeful, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that doesn't seem to have been part of his particular uh, take on, on the myth. Mythology. Right. And I also don't see those symbols of the past coming up very much on it. Um, but there is this sense of like, well, the the future lies in science fiction and the future lies in outer space yeah. rather than trying to deal with like the problems that he's facing on Earth. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So it's there's kind of a it's like a kind of um, it's Afro future future dystopianism, right? Um, and you know, I think there's a few other things that are kind of playing in that space that are recent. Um, I, I I don't know. Are you familiar with the um, the rap experimental rap group Clipping, um, which uh, features as a vocalist uh, uh, David Diggs, um, who is known from his work in, uh, on the written in the original cast of Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. So they they have this album um, called um, Splendor and Misery, and this is a kind of um, like Afrofuturist um, dystopian uh, noise collage space epic that is absolutely worth um, listening to um, about kind of a a a slave revolt on a on a futuristic space slave ship um and it is uh and i i think that it it absolutely kind of takes some of that kind of the the Afrofuturism through a mirror dark darkly of um of cool keith um and also kind of this um infusing kind of experimental electronic music um into hip hop that you know was um you know that that it kind of draws a line right because like what um and I think maybe this could be a good point to segue to the sonics of the album because you know what Dan the Automator um was doing and DJ Kubert were doing on this album um in nineteen ninety six I mean, it sounded like nothing like 1996. Um, and yet now it sounds like, I, I think 21 years later, we're about caught up with it. Um, <laughs> um, and so then, and then Clipping, I think, which uh, their, the, their album Splendor and Misery actually came out about 20 years after. It was a, nine, a 2016 album. Right, and so that there definitely are uh, is a line here and pushing forward. Um, but I just I think that at the time, I mean, and and I know Jordan, you did some digging in what other kind of hip hop was popular in 1996, uh, and kind of what pop music was sounding like at the time. Um, and I'll say that you know I know that uh, one of the big rap albums of '96, if memory serves correctly, was the the score by the Fugees, right? And uh, and uh, and 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 it was around the time of the of the big um kind of bad boy moment um and and all of the shiny suits um i don't know i mean rachel did you know what did you kind of um uh, uh think about the sound of this album relative to the the hip-hop of the era yeah no i think it it sounded it definitely sounded different um you know, because I think that it's what, like, led me to it in general. Because I don't think at the time I, you know, I think at the, it, you know, I was in middle school. So it was, like, very important to associate yourself as you, you could not be, like, a whole person in, like, rock and rap music. You had to choose uh, which, which, <laughs> which genre you liked. Um, so, you know, to, it, there was a certain amount of, I mean, I didn't, you know, it's I don't think I, like, dislike the bad boy stuff but it just definitely was not like preferred and as a result i like sided with rock but then you know something like this comes out and it's so interesting and so i don't know just like different from i think yeah from the landscape of like the of like the of of mainstream hip-hop at the time particularly just 
I mean, the songs of that time were not like they were starting to like slide into like maybe like the worst like tiniest production of like of of hip hop. You know, like as it crept towards like two thousand, early two thousands. That's some like bleak, bleak sounding like beats. And like I guess that was starting like around now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of very kind of, and I, I don't know actually a lot about what the technological shifts were that were driving this. But you you hear this in a lot of stuff, um, even in going from like like to me, and maybe this is just like I'm a certain kind of old fart um, that that like you know Biggie's first album sounds is much more pleasant to listen to than Biggie's second album. Um, so uh, Ready to Die is preferable to uh, Life After Death because Ready to Die has a lot more of a foot in kind of classic hip hop, a, a lot more of like turntablism. You hear more scratching, you hear more of these kind of samples, whereas. Um, the the ready to the, you hear more samples that are kind of you know that they're sampled but you don't necessarily recognize the sample um, and then by the ninety six ninety seven era it's a lot more of these kind of uncanny valley synths and then when there are samples it's like whole songs are sampled right it's all of I'm coming out um, or or all of um, of of the um, of the police song right uh, and and so it's and and there are a lot more kind of drum sounds sound a lot more like obvious synthesizer drums and same with all of the kind of um instruments it, and it has a little bit of that um kind of I, I, yeah uh it has it's 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 a lot more I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have a like good Finn sounding. Finn. Yeah. Ask- it sounds like Finn, yeah. yeah. Is it Is it also maybe that it's like poppy? Maybe. Maybe like uh, oh go go on uh, Poppy in what in what sense? Um, well, I was just I was looking down some of the the charts at like what uh, what songs what other what other stuff was going on in hip hop at this time, and you see a lot of stuff where it's like um, a rapper and an R and B singer. You know, it's like uh, you know this person featuring Casey and JoJo, or like featuring Mariah Carey or whatever. Which that's the stuff that always charts, right? Because it has this crossover appeal and stuff. But like when I think of the the scene that that Dr. Octagon seems to have been popular in and sort of underground hip hop, mm-hmm. there's a kind of like like a roughneck quality where they don't want to sound in any way soft, right? right? Like if you think about the the song on this that sort of approximates that kind of thing is "Girl, Let Me Touch You There," which is like second only to the porn skits for being kind of uncomfortable right. to listen yeah. to, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's sort of a like um, a performative masculinity about it. For all that, like the overall tone of the lyrics is surrealism, um, and it's very hard to say that it's about anything at all when you dig beneath the surface. There is this like this sense of of kind of being a hip hop bro, right? Like a horrorcore hip hop bro that I feel like is maybe informing some of it, which when you think that like, this is, I think this came out the same year as Nelly's hot in here. Right. Um, is like a very different mission statement for hip hop. Right. I, like, I, I feel like I, I, well, actually the, the hot in here is a little later. I think but, it's later. Yeah. Is it? I thought that, hang on. 
See, I, this is something that like I looked up the other night, and I was like, that can't be right. And I thought I double-checked it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, whoever programmed the website on the, uh, on, on the Billboard Hot 100 really uh, uh, fucked oh, you over. No, that's, that's 2002. Okay, never mind. That's, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Blame, not Blame true. Billboard's webmaster. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoever that might yeah. be. Oh. I'm glad that like we all actually lived through that time and can be like, no, <laughs> we weren't like 1984 <laughs> into thinking that Nelly lived alongside. I'll be missing you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Nelly has always been a part of Bad Boy Records. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I do think there is. I think there is. It's interesting because I actually think "Girl, Let Me Touch You" there also kind of reminds me of. Um, it reminds me a lot of like the Wu Tang like sex songs, which are like like there aren't that many of them, and they're also kind of gross. <laughs> are you thinking specifically of, of ice cream? Yeah, yeah. It's like the it, like the kind of like off key like sarcastic kind of like r&b hook oh right it's like yeah it's like oh yeah you know what you like you know what ladies like singing <laughs> right yeah yeah right i think this is like kind of weird like yeah there's Ooh, this- baby i like it raw isn't that some sexy singing <laughs> Ooh, baby i like it raw yeah. there, there's something there right it's like that that like the the off-key sarcastic smirking like hook yeah. Right, like, see, I gave you a hook, <laughs> uh, right? And it's, um, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely not like a song that's actually like earnestly trying to be like a pop song with an R and B star attached to it, and like have a hook that is melodic and sang, like hopefully like sung, you know, in key. Um, it, you know, the there's like a lot of sarcasm in, in that song. I don't know, and I do think it, it, it kind of reminds me of some of these. Like, I'm trying to think. There's like I feel like there are like in particular like like Ghostface songs that have these kind of like off key like you know fake R and B ish little interludes. Like, yeah, there's something kind of there's something sarcastic there. Yeah, especially on Dr. Octagon that you have to have wade through 12 tracks of the album before you get to it, right? right? Like if it was the first song, it might be a bait and switch. But after you've heard Blue Flowers and after you've heard like uh, Earth People and after you've heard No Awareness and after you've heard A Visit to the Gynecologist, then you get to it. It's like, you are kidding me, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Like the, the response to that song is no, I will not let you touch me anywhere. <laughs> I think the other thing about that song and thinking about the Sonics is that there's um, and I, I don't know if I, I remember this, uh, but there's something that kind of came through every time I listened to it on this round is this there there's a sample um, at the end of every um, hook is the uh, the kind of falsetto the. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so again it's so. It's very it's disturbing because it's like a level because it's a pretty spare beat and then the singing is so like emphatic it's like as if there was an entire gospel choir and then the rest of the gospel choir got photoshopped out and this one gospel singer singer who thought she was singing with like a crowd um is 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 alone and exposed right and I guess that's like I guess that image is like for me fits with like the themes of the song of the kind of exposure and invasion of privacy um and and kind of violation um and 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 so that 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 kind of lone singer kind of getting down um it it, uh it just feels 
it both so out of place that it that it's absolutely right, right? Yeah. Um, and again, I guess I, I think I mentioned the word kind of abomination before, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's these things that are like, I mean, there is a sense of. You know, you know, because before mashup became, um, you know, a, uh, a a commonplace term um, and a kind of, you know, a, a a mode of kind of making pop music, you know, the idea of mashing things up is kind of unpleasant, right? When you take one thing and mash it into another thing, like what may what things are made better by mashing them up into each other? <laughs> like if you have two san- if you have a bologna sandwich and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you have them both in your book bag and they get mashed up. That's gross. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I think it's, yeah. it's interesting. If you think of like the way that a good mashup is supposed to work, right? You actually have two things that fit together like Lego pieces, right? Like right. it turns out that actually they were meant to go together and yeah. there's no mashing that is involved. Yeah. But I feel like you could, you could reappropriate that and apply it to a lot of, uh, a lot of automator beats. There seems to be like a strategy that he has where he lays in a bass and drums that are like massive, yeah, right? Yeah. And very, very rhythmically like in the pocket and almost mm-hmm. straightforward in a way. Yeah. And then over that, you can layer in sort of the, the treble space, something that's more organic sounding that yep. doesn't need to actually fit the rest of the beat. Yeah. So yeah, like Girl Let Me Touch You is a very good example. Uh, Blue Flowers is another great one. Yeah. Both versions of the Blue Flowers beat basically play that trick. Um even I would say uh, 3,000, although they're like the thing that's in the treble being a little bit off is DJ Qbert. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, it's, you're absolutely right about that in the mix. I mean, I forget what song it was, but like I remember we were running um, and like something in the beat, we actually thought it was our water bottles making some kind of squishing and leaking noise. And it was just <laughs> the beat. Um, was it in Blue Flowers? No, or? I think it was later. It was a later song. It might be Half Shark Alligator. I'm not yeah, sure. I think yes, it I think it is. is. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. I'm glad uh, I can. It's like you, we just played Name That Disturbing Noise uh, on Dr. Octagon, and you, you just nailed it in one in one verbal description of a, uh, of a disturbing noise. It's like, oh, yeah, leaky water bottle. That's Half Shark Alligator. <laughs> no. no, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's like I've always p- long puzzled over the Half Shark Alligator Half Man. Um, in part because that adds up to one and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the half shark alligator half man just doesn't add up. Um, <laughs> no, wait, no, hang on, hang on. In their okay. defense, it's not half shark, half alligator, half man. It's half shark alligator, half man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But the, the uh, just as soil and green is made up of people, shark alligator is made of sharks and so you wanted to be like a quarter shark or quarter gator, and, and half man. Yeah, half one, man. yes, one quarter shark, one quarter. quarter gator. Gator. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do think that 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 like that is I think what has always intuitively been both disturbing and appealing about the song um, is and and I, I I've always thought it was kind of just kind of surrealist. 
nonsense, and I said I think it still is to a large, uh, you know, to a large uh, degree. Um, but I do think that I, in thinking about like you know Dan the Automator's particular um, production style, I mean every kind of one of the principal on this album in their creative style, in the beats, um, in the raps, and in the kind of um, in the turntablism, it is all in this spirit of not just a a kind of seamless snapping of things together but a lot more of this kind of grotesque cutting and stitching and uh and and weaving together in ways that are a little potentially ungainly and yet still work right um and and again i don't think it's necessarily described as like ah yes i'm going to articulate this half shark alligator half man as as a grand metaphor for our project but i think they Half shark, uh, alligator, half man, um, like lives alongside all of the other kind of creative elements of this um, as kind of this kind of composite, right? <laughs> well, I, I think I would I would say that, except I would push back with you a little bit on DJ Cubert. I don't think that there's anything like at all ungainly about what he's doing. I feel like what you have here is. Um, Dan the Automator is relatively like new to what he's doing and is very innovative in certain ways, but is very also like workmanlike, you know, and like and dependable and like gives you that that sort of rhythmic foundation for it to stand on. And then you have Cool Keith, who is also like pushing rap forward, um, trying to do something that is above and beyond both in terms of content and his sort of rhythmic technique, anything that he had done in his sort of old school incarnation. And then you have DJ Cubert, who is like operating at an insane high level to the point where like I don't think that I begin to see the shape of what is good about what he's doing like it blows my mind and probably I'm missing 90% of it um, and this, I say this based on like the sort of the lore that circulates around him but also just based on like the scratching that I hear on this and uh, some other things of his that I ended up buying after this versus like scratching even that I like that I hear everywhere else it seems like he's sort of the um I don't know. It's like it's like some baseball team that had like Babe Ruth as their designated hitter or something like that. Um where like they just they bring out this guy that everybody's like, "Oh, okay." Like <laughs> well, I, well, well, I guess this is really good now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing about like I don't know if you had read this, um, and and you you probably did, but I think the one thing that like still kind of allowed me to kind of put DJ Cooper in a kind of the the kind of off kilter mode is like he was like running his turntables through a wah wah pedal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like yeah. You, must have, <laughs> you, you must have you must have heard the the anecdote that like he and the rest of his crew, the invisible scratch pickles, were like eventually told to stop entering the DJ contest because they were making everybody else too depressed to come and enter the DJ contest. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "You guys have to be the judges now because yeah, it's yeah. just not fun." <laughs> Well, I, I do think – so that's like – so just because it's – because like in some ways that is – look, I mean, sure, you could be – you could put your turntable through a wah-wah pedal because you're really bad. But that's generally not the the the, the path. Generally, you, you end up start like starting to really explore um, and, and really go off the path because you – because you've reached a level of mastery. And, and again, I think, I think you're, you raise an interesting point that um, Dan the Automator is at a – they're all kind of different arcs in this, but there are these elements of. So I think that that 
Because I, I, I think that what is really interesting about the scratching is that it is both technically excellent and yet it also doesn't sound like a museum piece right and i I think that that's and and we we touched on this a little bit earlier um kind of indirectly but that there's i think it's really interesting of like i i feel like nowadays of that you see a lot more people who are um, I'm trying to think if I can think of an exa- example. Actually, a lot of the Wu Tang guys are good examples of this, of especially kind of like Raekwon and Ghostface. Of these, like um, everything you know, to them, everything that doesn't sound like a 1995, like you know, a, a 1990, like four, three to 96 era Wu Tang album is garbage, right? And is not real hip hop, uh, right? And so that there's this kind of hip hop kind of diorama preservation society. Um, type of mode, and and I think that sometimes going to turntablism and kind of going to even kind of um, you know beats and samples that evoke elements of kind of golden age hip hop have this kind of um, reenactment, right? Golden age, <laughs> golden age hip hop reenactment group, um, and I think what's really um, interesting about this uh, about about DJ Kubert's scratching is that it absolutely kind of studies at the kind of you know in the technical school of the greats and yet also is feels not like a a museum piece right that there's and I think it's whether it's because it's being um, you know there are effects and kind of weird and it's either through what is being affected or what he is scratching or um, or or how how it's kind of interacting with the songs it is this is like this is prog turntablism right um, in a certain way um and and again maybe i'm reading a lot into kind of the imagery of the wawa pedal and kind of thinking of like you know like psych rock um but the, there is the, the, that kind of pushes it a little bit beyond it, it, it imagines the future of the turntable right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't feel like a museum piece. It feels yeah. like a living art form, for sure. Yeah, and that's what's... And, and I think that as a result, when you're kind of living and breathing like that, it is feeling a little... It's Again, you, you just... It's... this The samples come in in unexpected ways, right? Um, and, and that is, like, something that... There's also, like, a number of songs where the title of the song is, like, a, a sampled snippet of vocals that, that comes in, right? Um, even, like, the first Dr. Octagon... Um, like voicemail like uh tv ad right um uh, uh is called i got to tell you um after the uh i got to tell you sample that is kind of scratched in the outro right um right that song really what well, could be called um one eight one eight hundred pp five one doo doo yeah but it's not it's named after you know um uh it's it's named after the scratching that dj kubert does over paco wells canon right mm-hmm. yeah yeah which i guess maybe points to like the sense of him being a co-equal partner in the in the production rather than like a a sweetener that was added on at the last minute right, right? like my my uh hey hey ryan and rachel question was gonna be uh is dr octagon cool keith or is dr octagon a band um and like actually yeah i mean what do you think do you have any 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 read on that i think they see themselves as a band um, I, I think every time they kind of like t- 
talk like even what they toured earlier this year and like I think that I I kind of view them as like it's kind of like a a trio. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say that Dr. Octagon is an extraterrestrial surgeon from Jupiter. <laughs> I started right. Yeah. Let me, let me just clarify. I don't want to confuse Dr. Octagon, the band, or like the unit, with Dr. Octagon, the orthopedic gynecologist who is currently practicing orthopedic gynecology uh, and is licensed so in no, every no. state. It's not Mr. Octagon. I didn't go to, to eight years of space or space gynecologist school to yeah. be called Mr. Right, exactly. It's Dr. Octagon. Thank you. All right, all right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, I think it is absolutely a band, though, because I think that there have been other kind of... I, I think that it's it's the 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 the, the that Doctor Octagon effect that you get when listening to this album is from this the the kind of cumulative effect of all three of these principles, and I think that you know other combinations um, of of these of, of these three can be satisfying, but it's not Doctor Octagon, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I, I think that uh, and I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to think about whether even like Dr. Dr. Octagon is a band or is a kind of performance installation of these three artists in like 1995, yeah, it's almost like more like the gorillas project is like the, you know what I mean? Like I, I view like the gorillas is like a project rather than like a band. Yeah. You know and yeah. I think? And I think this is like kind of like it is. Yeah. It's like an installment. It's a project. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's about right. Um, and it's kind of um, kind of interesting, kind of sad. If you look at Cool Keith's like later catalog, he never quite got out from under this one. Yeah, you know, like there's uh, in his next album was called Doctor Doom and begins with Doctor Octagon getting killed off, and then later on there's like a, a Doctor Octagon Returns album, and there's one called like Mister Notsego, which is Octagon backwards, mm-hmm. um, and like and then he's back touring with them uh, this past year, right? So like I, I hope that he's I hope that it's keeping him in in you know. <laughs> in like fertilizer and fetuses or whatever it is that cool Keith buys. But, uh, but like, it seems like maybe he feels like the project sort of got bigger than he was. And he resents that a little bit. You can see that in some of the interviews he gives on it. Huh? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely see that. And it's definitely hard because it's like, you definitely, it is an interesting thing where you, you don't really want to, Perform. You don't really want to inhabit Doctor Octagon, right? Like it's it's like a it's an interesting thing to even have as a kind of right. It's it's because I I mean I never really understood right. I mean I, I guess and maybe I don't know what you remember at the time, but it does feel more like a band in that I never be like you you is never like I would um and again maybe because I came to know this a lot later but like it's not like I you would see cool Keith walking down the street and go hey there's Dr Octagon <laughs> 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 right you know it, and even I remember like when you introduced it to me it's like oh yeah this is like this project of cool Keith right hmm. uh, and and that's like a different thing it's not like oh yeah cool Keith is going by Dr Octagon now right um and that's a kind of different um i mean i think it's like it's different from like i don't know i'm trying to think of other kind of like persona shifts um i mean you have like not like prince or yeah right right <laughs> right right the artist or, or talib being uh, nasim bay now right 
Uh, or it's uh, it's uh, most deaf, right? Um, I think we may have lost Jordan. Uh, my 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 well actually just kind oh, no, of. I'm here. I'm here. Um, I I think I think uh, most deaf is Yasin Bey. Um, I believe. Um, it's oh Nelly. man, I'm, I'm making ne- all kinds. No, of it's ne- Nelly is now known as Yasin Bey, uh, and he always has been known as Yasin. Yeah, Bey. Yeah, Nelly was always in Black Star. He was the third uh, member. Oh jeez. <laughs> Are, are we going to cut this out? No, leave it in. Leave it in. Yeah, no, <laughs> let, no. let the internet feel my shame. <laughs> um, R- Rachel, do you have any other kind of uh, parting, uh, parting Dr. Octagon thoughts or other songs that we didn't hit that are um, your kind of things you wanted to dive into? No, I don't know. I, I think... Um... I you know I think the album is is it's not like particular songs need to be dived into because it is such a kind of like it's such a unit the whole thing is kind of a unit but I do think Blue Flowers does stand out I mean it was kind of like the obvious single and um you know I I mean if I had to pick like a song to to say that it, it what's my favorite song or the one that really is compelling it's Definitely the one that led me to buy the record. Um, what is it about Blue Flowers that kind of grabs you, or like? Uh, I think of- it's. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this. I think there's like just kind of like a universal truth that like string instruments are awesome. <laughs> like you know, like I just straight like string instruments are depressing and creepy, and like they always add a sort of like. Uh, you know, creepy LJ quality to whatever it is they're on, and this is an excellent, excellent like string sample, and it makes the song. And it's, which, which Dan the Automator played himself, right? Yeah, which is awesome. So I, you know, I just, I, I think that really sells the song. I don't know. Um, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I, I think string strings, man. Put a string on something; it's great. <laughs> yeah, put, a, put a string on it. But yeah, it's it really is. It's the it's the bird of like music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's no. It's totally. It, it's it. It is really. I mean, it's something about. It's an odd thing because it's like not a hook. Right, but like that's the that as far as there are like earworms on this album, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like I mean I suppose there is like you know a worm that crawls actually crawls into your ear is a thing that could live in this universe, um, but <laughs> but like the the um, violin line on Blue Flowers is one of those things that sticks with you, right? Um, and is is really catchy. For sure, for sure. Well, I think. I think that that's where we are going to leave uh, Dr. Octagon. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Rachel, for uh, diving into this um, and, and, and running against this, uh, this album. Because it is, it is one that um, certainly does. It, it, it alienates and confounds as much as it entertains um, and rewards. Um, <laughs> and so it's, uh, as, as, uh, as he says, uh, Dr. Octagon uh, is in your corner. Um, 
and we, uh, <laughs> which makes him sound like orthopedic lawyer, no, like that, gynecologist. As, as a quick side, I mean, this was kind of again part of at my like has <laughs> Doctor Keith ever been to a doctor's office? Because that like sound and presentation of that is definitely like like I'm here, your doctor representing your health, right? Um, His ambulance chaser medicine. <laughs> yeah, he's chasing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's chasing like the uh, the ambulance with like a hacksaw, right? right? <laughs> um, and so Dr. Octagon uh, is in your corner, and so are we. Um, so uh, join us to kind of continue the great conversation about Dr. Octagon, about our stretch to the 90s. Um, we have about maybe another three or four weeks left of this 90s uh, stretch. We're going to hit a few 1997 records before we pivot back to 2017. Um, so join the conversation in all of the usual places on Facebook, on Twitter, on the show notes, on overthinkingit.com. Um, and when you, uh, when we see you next, whether we are a half shark, alligator, half man, um, or whether uh, there is a horse in our hospital, just know that we will keep it real. Oh man, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the best song on the record, which is country grammar. <laughs> <laughs>